Well, good morning again, Raquel. It's good to see you. So listen, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 in a series called Just Like Jesus. And we've just turned a corner out of chapter 5 and into chapter 6. And we're going to go so far in chapter 6 that we're going to cover one verse today. Oh boy, I know. All right, now listen, I've had uh, children in my home for 11 years, and I've come to this realization that they don't live with me, I live with them. With children, you generally know what they're feeling by their facial expressions or the uh, air that comes out of their mouth whenever something is said that they don't like. There is a sense in them that you know what they're feeling when they're feeling it. Okay, some of y'all are out of practice with kids. I mean, think about babies. Babies make it known when something is not right. I mean, they were in a, I assume, warm, cozy womb, and then they come out and they're saying, it is cold out here. And the lights are bright. I mean, it is just a madhouse of emotions that come out. But with children, you generally know what they're feeling. It, It just is what it is. It is present in that moment exactly how they're feeling. We, we know this when they pout. Now, in our home, we have a rule. Criners are not whiners, all right? So it might be pouting or it might be whining, and they might throw themselves on the ground, kicking and screaming, upset about whatever happened. And usually it's in a public place that these things take place, right? I mean, you can't have any candy. And then all this, right? Now, we as adults... We pout as well. We whine to a large degree. It just looks different because we know other people are watching. Are you with me? I mean, we, we would throw ourselves on the ground and kick and scream. In our hearts, we're doing that. But, but if we did that physically, it'd take us a while to get back up. But we pout and we whine. We just use different mediums for it today. We use our fingers to tweet or text or send a Facebook message or Yelp review or, or, you know, I don't mean to complain, but da-da-da-da-da, right? These are the things that we do. Now, the reality is, is that over time, we learn as adults that other people are watching us, and so we rein it in. Well, I don't want them to think less of me because I'm whatever it is. And we've learned this game. And the reality is that the Sermon on the Mount today, particularly verse 1, is going to help us see how we have learned the game of hiding our righteousness or we've learned the game of displaying a righteousness that does not exist in our hearts. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. If you're there, will you say word? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Stop right there. Listen, Jesus is concerned about what we do externally, but Jesus is always more concerned about what's going on in our hearts. That Jesus has... This understanding that whatever is inside of you is going to come out of you. That over time, whatever has been built up in here is going to come out here. Every other religion is focused on the external. They want you to clean up your mess. 
and, and then you'll be made right. See, Christianity, if you might even call it the hallmark of Christianity, is not you obey, therefore you are saved. The hallmark of Christianity is you are saved, therefore you obey. It's just completely different. Because Jesus understands what, what happens in here, in our hearts, will eventually be proclaimed in our mouths and in our lives. The title of today's message is How We Do Righteousness, or as verse 1 will say, how we practice, how to practice righteousness. See, the first thing we see in our text is that what we do is not for show. When we're living a righteous life, it is not for show. It's not to impress others. Notice Jesus is not giving us a command to practice. He's assuming that practice is happening He's not commanding us to do righteous deeds. The assumption in the text is that righteous deeds are unfolding before us. They're they're actually happening. But Jesus is warning us about when we practice and when we do righteousness, that we do it in the right way. So he says, hey, what you do when you're doing righteousness, it should not be for public display or public show. The assumption is that because you've been changed internally, you will be proclaiming something with your life and with your lips. So Jesus says, don't practice it in front of others. Because Jesus understands the natural flow of whatever you behold, whatever you consume, you will become, you will project. So it's why you've got to be careful with with Insta Reels or videos that you watch on YouTube or consume because I've noticed just even in my own household that whatever show my children or even us are consuming or watching, we begin to think like those characters or react like those It's just a matter of time. Now, when Jesus says practice, I know we're talking about practice. When Jesus talks about practice, he's not talking about a quarterback practicing throws to a receiver. He's not talking about the tuba player who's practicing the sheet music and the march so that he can do it well. He's not talking about the kid in theater who's practicing lines of which to memorize. Practice in that regard is so that you could get better at it. Practice here is different. Practice here isn't I'm going to try this so that I can, and I'm going to keep practicing at it so I can get better at it. Practice here is more like a lawyer practices law or a doctor practices medicine. For example, if you go to the doctor and you say, what do you do? He says, I practice medicine. And he, you say, well, I'm not feeling well. And he says, well, I'm not really good at this. This is your doctor speaking. I'm not really good at this, but I'd like to practice on you. And as I practice on you, I'll get better at it. And then you can invite your friends. I'll practice on them. And then maybe they'll get better. And then I'll be practicing medicine. You say, I don't want to be anybody's guinea pig. Go go work on something else. You know, you're calling your enemy. Say, I got this great doctor I'd like to recommend. I, I don't want that doctor, right? You don't want that doctor either. When Jesus says, practice your righteousness, what he's talking about is, actively living out that which you've learned and that which you believe. 
So when a doctor or a lawyer is practicing medicine, they're working out or displaying to you, actively practicing, actively in, the, in that what they've learned, what they've been trained in, they then are actively doing. This is what it means to practice law or medicine. So practice isn't about getting better at it. I want to practice. Practice is about using what they've been taught and then doing it. So the assumption in the text is that we are going to be practicing righteousness. We see true righteousness doesn't come from just an external desire to be well-liked. True, true righteousness comes from an internal transformation when a heart has surrendered their lives to Jesus and then Jesus changes that heart and their affections so that we might live for Jesus and others might come to know him. See, he says in the text, there's some assumptions given in the text. He's going to say it in verse 2, in verse 5, and in verse 16. He says, whenever, or some of your texts say when, when you give. So next week, we're going to talk about giving. All right, yay. When you give, or whenever you give. Two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about prayer. Whenever you pray. And then verse 16, three weeks from now, whenever you fast. The assumption in the text is that these things are things that you're going to be doing. So Jesus doesn't say, you need to give, and you need to pray, and you need to fast. He says, no, no, when you're doing these things, whenever you're doing them, because they're a part of a person who's been transformed, they want to give to the Lord, they want to pray, and they will want to fast. He's assuming these things are going to be done, but the assumption in the text also is that you're not going to be doing them for others. You see that in the text? He says, do not practice, practice your righteousness in front of others. Don't do it for others. See, you and I can practice acts of righteousness externally, but not have any righteousness internally. You can display to others a type of righteousness that does not exist internally. You can show others how impressive you are in your spiritual life, but yet be far from the Lord in your heart. That's why how we practice righteousness is very important. You have to know that it's not done for show. You have to know that it's not done for others to be seen by them. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a varied group of people. He's speaking to disciples who are following him. He's talking to people who are kind of on the fence or in the crowd, but they're kind of following Jesus, but not real sure what to do with him. And then he's talking to Pharisees. He's exposing throughout the Gospel of Matthew the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the spiritual void in the hearts of the Pharisees. Let's take a second to talk about these Pharisees. Because we have God's inerrant and inspired word in our hands, we, we have a full understanding of the Pharisees. But in that day, they didn't have a full understanding of who the Pharisees really were. In that day, when people saw the Pharisees, they saw somebody who was really dedicated to religion. They saw good people who gave, who prayed, who fasted. They, they observed these men and were like, man, these, these guys really are genuine. They would have no other reason to think otherwise, that these men were genuine in their pursuit. That they, these, these are examples to us in a community. I mean, just think practically. You, 
Let, let's just, I'll just use me. I don't want to use anybody else. Let's say you, you only come here and you only interact with me on a Sunday morning. All you see is me up here. You, you don't know what I'm like when I'm interacting with my family or if I'm at Brookshire's or at a football game or wearing some disguise so you don't recognize me, which is strategic. <laughs> you come here two to three times a month. You see me up on stage. I have the Bible open. I'm teaching You'd likely never question my relationship with Jesus. Everything on the external looks pretty good. I mean, let's just be honest. Sorry. This is a joke, but but really, it's not more. But Jesus would say that's not the goal. Jesus would say the goal here is not for you to look good. In fact, Often my prayer before I walk up is, Lord, if if you need public humiliation in my life so that your name would be proclaimed, and so be it. While others might be impressed with, and you might be impressed with my external operations here, God isn't swayed by them. God's after my heart, and God's after your heart. And Jesus is the only one who's able to see the intentions of our hearts. He's able to see what's done in secret, And he's able to understand our motives in secret and also in public. See, sometimes righteous deeds that are done in front of others are done because we're actually self-centered more than we're trying to honor the Lord. See, the Pharisees, they cared a lot about what people thought about them. The Pharisees thought a lot about how others viewed them. The Pharisees wanted others to be impressed by them. They acted as if they loved God, but ultimately they just cared about how others thought about how they loved God. And as shocked as you would be to think what would happen here if that was the case happening right in front of us, if I claimed a righteousness that was not happening internally, Just the same shock you would feel to hear that would be the same shock they would feel when they heard the Pharisees are like whitewashed tombs. In fact, Jesus is going to call them something. He's going to call them hypocrites in verse 2 and 5 and 16. He says that when you give and you have trumpets blaring behind you of how much you've given, you're, you're a hypocrite. They're fake. They look righteous, but they're really not. It's why Jesus says at the very beginning, be careful. Some of your translations say, beware. It's like the sign that says, don't go any further from here. See, see, our our relationship with Jesus, what he's saying to them is, is not to be just a public exercise that we display once a week. Our relationship with Jesus is not a public exercise. It's a private dynamic that manifests itself publicly. So what's fascinating about this is that in verse 4, 6, and 18, it says that the Father sees in secret, he will reward you. Every righteous deed that you do in obscurity, you don't have to say, I mean, I don't mean to, I'm deeply humbled that I have a chance to give all this money to fill in the blank. I'm deeply humbled to have helped this person on the side of the road. I'm, oh, I'm honored today to be able to speak. No, no, no. That's, you need to understand that what, whatever God sees in private, he will reward you. Jesus knows the time that you spend with him, and you don't need to worry about what other people are thinking externally, whether anybody's watching or not. Jesus also knew that whenever you're practicing privately will manifest, manifest itself 
publicly, but you've got to get the motive right. Why? Because Jesus knows what we have learned, whether we've realized it or not. We learn over the course of our days, having some of us grown up in the church culture, how to play the church game. It's so easy to fall into this trap. It's so easy to slip into the stage of life where you've pretty much figured out what words to say, which Bible to bring, to act like we're more holy than we are. There's a checklist of items that we do to act like we're more righteous than we really are, to, 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 to proclaim how righteous we are to others when we really haven't. And when Jesus peers into our private life, we begin to see that it is actually void of any intimacy with him, that we claim a far greater righteousness externally than actual internal. Jesus calls this hypocrisy. This is hypocrisy to claim a better public appearance than private devotion. It's hypocrisy. And I know it too well because I know how to play that game. I know as a minister of the gospel how to play the game of I'm completely doing great and everybody thinks that that's happening but internally my life is on fire. I know how to play this game, so I want you to know that I'm not coming to beat you up. I don't want that phone call this week again. I'm calling you to a better way. I'm calling you to righteousness. I'm calling you to, to deny and, and, and deflate the temptation of hypocrisy this morning. It's easy for a pastor to come up and preach a gospel message and have little affection for Jesus. If a preacher can do it, how much easier would it be for you to do it? You say, that, that really happens? Yeah. They know the game. A preacher can stand up and preach a gospel message and have no private prayer, little time in the word, precious, precious little time praying. What Jesus is saying here is that the private aspect of your relationship with Christ must take priority because it will carry out in how you are righteous publicly. In my 16 plus years of pastoral leadership, I, I think about the reality that sometimes I think people are hesitant to come to pastors or their staff or the staff because of, they're afraid of what the pastor might think about them. What they might fall out of their chair and go, I can't believe you just told me that. I'm, I'm so shocked. No, we, we will not be shocked. For example, I, I know that as a pastor, there are some marriages in a church that are simply an act. They come and they're holding hands in the foyer. They're sharing a Bible together. His arm is around her. He gives her a peck on the cheek after a prayer, but if you follow them home, there is no joy and no intimacy and no communication and no hope, no trust. It's sad, but you're not created to have a marriage like that. And to be honest, our marriage relationships should marry our relationship with Christ. It's easy to hide the dysfunction of your marriage, by the way. It's easy to hide the dysfunction of your marriage in the midst of people 
who are supposed to be honest with you and you're to be honest with them. If it's easy for you to hide, conspiring together with somebody else, to hide your dysfunction, how much easier is it for you to hide your own personal dysfunction in a relationship with Jesus? If you want to fake that your marriage is doing great, you just got to have a co-conspirator. But if you want to fake that your relationship with the Lord is fake, you don't have to do anything but just trick yourself. And you know why the church doesn't call people out on this? You know why the church doesn't call people out on their own hypocrisy? It's because we don't want anybody else to call out our own hypocrisy. Some of us know the person next to you is not living a godly life and you won't say a word because you don't want them to point out how they're not living a godly life. And the church will fall into this trap. And I think American evangelicalism has fallen into this trap of not just being honest about, hey, I'm seeing some inconsistencies in your life. Not judging somebody else's fruit, but we certainly are to inspect each other's fruit. And Jesus is calling us out. He's saying, you need to examine your private life. How are you in private will be how you ought to be in public. See, I, I think that's somewhat of what we've mixed, we've really confused hypocrisy. We, we thought hypocrisy was any time that you show up to church and appear holy and then live like a heathen the rest of the week. Hypocrisy is any time, though, that we appear more godly in public than we are in private. That's hypocrisy. We've switched it. Righteousness that is real is done in private before it's ever in public. So what you need to know is that what you do is not to be seen. But what we do is seen. See, one of the reasons why we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible primarily, there are occasions that we'll preach on a topic, is because if you just parachuted into chapter 6 verse 1 and read that verse, you would think, all of our righteousness should be private and nobody should ever know anything about our righteousness. The problem with that is Matthew chapter 5. Because in Matthew 5 verse 16, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In fact, in that same passage, he's going to give two illustrations. The first illustration is going to be about a city that is set up on a hill. If you're driving in West Texas and you see a city up on a hill, you're going to see it three days before, but you're going to see that city and you're going to go, look at that. There's a city. If you're in a dark room, like occasionally this morning, I was going to go wake up our children to say, it is time for you to arrive which is like calling dead, dead girls awake. I mean, it's like, I go in and there's already a lamp on. This darkened room is lit up. You see that light. So things that we do, our, our righteous deeds are going to be like a city on a hill or like a lamp on display in darkness. That's the rhythm of this text. So if you just parachute into verse 1, you're going to think, oh, we're supposed to not do anything righteous publicly. No, it's going to be seen by them. He says this in verse 2, 5, and 16. Hey, they're going to see these things. They will. Jesus uses this picture to show that your private life with God will be publicly manifested 
in actions and in words to the glory of not your name, but the Father's name. So here's what I'm getting at. To a degree, hypocrisy is displaying a righteousness of which you do not have privately. But there's also another form of hypocrisy that I think is a little more prevalent today. Hypocrisy is privately being intimate with the Lord, loving God, worship, Bible reading. But out in public, people wouldn't have a clue that you have affection for Jesus. That's a different kind of hypocrisy. Oh, you love to read your Bible. You love to pray. You love to sing songs of praise to the Lord. You love to show up on Sunday mornings. But when that calendar turns on to Monday, nobody is going to know that you have a relationship with Jesus. You, you fly under that radar. Some of you act less righteous in public than you are in private. Some of you act less righteous in public than you are actually in private. That's hypocrisy. This is why we regularly, publicly gather to declare the gospel so that we might be discipled as believers and then therefore be deployed as a church. Why? So that we can let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. See, here's what happens. We'll worship the Lord here but not speak a word of him or to him out there. See, all of us are Gifted evangelists. There's this nomenclature that only a few are gifted with evangelism. Oh, you're gifted with evangelism. You're just evangelizing the wrong things. I've seen more evangelistic posts in recent days over vaccines. Pro, anti. COVID, masks, no masks. Horse pills or no horse pills. I mean, I'm seeing it all. Political parties, oh, we're evangelists. We're really good evangelists. We're just evangelizing everything but the gospel. So why do we do what we do? The motivation for what we do matters. Think about what we do. We do it because of what's been done for us. I want to live publicly for Jesus because he publicly died on the cross for my sins. If you're practicing a righteousness that isn't from the heart, you're going to end up being fake and being really tired. It's why when, whenever I was being disciplined by my father, he said, just tell the truth because if you tell a lie, it's hard to remember the lie, but you always remember the truth. If you're pretending to be something you're not in public, you will be exhausted. If you're trying to conceal what's really going in your heart, you'll be fake and not be authentic to those around you. What you do will be seen by others. Jesus does care that we do the right thing, but he also cares about us doing it for the right reasons. If you do the right thing for the wrong reasons, Jesus says that's hypocrisy. That's not the way of the kingdom. Remember the crowd, the disciples were there, the curious and the Pharisees. The Pharisees did everything right, but they did it for the wrong motives. The Pharisees were giving, 
They were praying. They were fasting. But they were doing it so that they could be seen by others. You know what the problem was? It's our same problem. They loved themselves more than they loved God. They loved how others talked about them in the streets. Look how, look how much they gave today. I mean, look how they were in that prayer house for like hours. I mean, they haven't eaten in days. If you aim to look righteous in front of everyone else, then you do in private. Then all you really care about is yourself. You desire praise. An acquaintance of mine, J.R. Vassar, calls it being a glory thief. You're stealing the glory of God for yourself. But if that's one end of intimacy, it's one thing to be intimate with Jesus but distant with him in public. That same way, it's a desire to protect yourself. If on one end, you're publicly displaying your righteousness, but privately there's nothing there, you care about yourself. But on another, you're privately desiring the Lord and loving him, but publicly nobody knows. You, all you care about is yourself. And Jesus goes to war with this. The harshest words that Jesus has in the Bible are not for the irreligious, it's for the religious. The harshest words that Jesus has is not for those that are caught in sin, it's for, for those who try to condemn those who are caught in sin. Jesus gives harsh words in Matthew 23 about how the Pharisees appeared to be righteous, but they really weren't. In Acts 5, in fact, the church age, when you begin to read about the early church, you have Ananias and Sapphira. They've sold a piece of property, and they, they proclaimed that they had given it to the Lord, but they were called in, and they did not give the right amount. And the Lord strikes them dead in that moment, showing how those who project a particular righteousness, but their lives, private lives, don't match it, it's a serious matter. And I think the church has gotten this wrong. We do the opposite. The church reverses its harshest words for the pagan and its softest words for the person who appears righteous. We are harsh with our words and judgments against the political liberal, the homosexual, the person who's in open and obvious sin. But then we say nothing to the person who week in and week out shows up but who is an obvious hypocrite. We unleash our greatest judgment on the world. Look at that wicked world. What do you expect? What, what do you think is gonna happen? Living like they only know how. They don't know Jesus. The redeemed of the Lord though, they live differently. They speak differently. They evangelize differently. I'm telling you, if somebody walked in today and on the back of their shirt it had in rainbow colors pro-choice and they sat right on the front row, we would judge them and be worried about their salvation. But the person who's in maybe a leadership role, who doesn't give, who doesn't pray, who doesn't read their Bible, who doesn't share the gospel, we just pat on the shoulder and say, it'll be all right. The church has gotten it wrong. 
And I think this is why the church has lost her prophetic voice in our culture. Because they look at us and go, you're no different than us. It's why when someone says, I can't go to church, bunch of hypocrites, we ought to say, there's always room for one more. Jesus says, this is not the way of the kingdom. We're to evangelize the gospel. Not to practice it in front of others so that they can be seen by them. Know that the Lord's going to reward you. This is why today, I think this lands for us in two ways. Number one, you need freedom. Some of you today, on one end of the spectrum, you're projecting a righteousness that is not there privately, or there is a private righteousness that you are not displaying at all. You nothing manifesting itself out. You need to understand that the invitation for those who are not saved is the same for those who are saved today. You need to be set free from that. Jesus loves us right where we are, but he loves us enough not to keep us where we are. He convicts us so that we might repent and be released from that burden. And when you do this, you can experience the forgiveness and healing of which he provides so extravagantly. And the more prideful we are, the more we like to hide. The more we like others to think well of us, the more we try to project a wellness that is not there. God resists you when you do this. You must understand. You say, what? Yeah, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the more pride you feel, oh, I can't, what if they think less of me? What if they don't think highly of me? What if they don't put me in a leadership position? Jesus says, none of that matters. I want your heart. Confess the sin of hypocrisy today. And this is true whether you're a believer or non-believer, because if you are a believer, the response is just the same. I need to confess my sin of hypocrisy. You need to repent and trust Jesus. If you're a believer but living in hypocrisy, you confess that sin. He is, hello, faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And when you stand cleansed before the Lord, you are free. But if you continue to hide, one day you will be exposed. The wonder of God and the beauty of the gospel is that he gives you a chance like right now, to do that. Like if you've never trusted in Jesus, you realize that you just sitting here is him gently calling you to himself. And the more you resist it, the more your heart gets hard. And God says, the more you resist me, baby, I'm gonna resist you. But those that humble themselves and say, Lord, I, I confess my sin before you, he gives you grace. You need freedom. But you also need to start following him again. Following Jesus, taking up your cross, following him. It's you laying down yourself. Saying, I'm not living for me. I'm not living for man anymore. I'm going to live for God. And when we do that, we'll be doing exactly what he's called us to do. Will you pray with me? Father, we come now.
And Lord, we confess our need for you in this place. Lord, I'm asking that if there's somebody in this room, if there's somebody online that needs to come to this place where they confess to be free, that they would do so. God, I'm asking that even here, there might be somebody who's never trusted in you with their life and you're calling them to freedom. May they respond today. And then, Lord, there may be some in this room that have been carrying this hypocrisy for some time. They've maybe just, by the Spirit, you've convicted them this morning. May they not just sit on their hands out of their own maybe pride and just say, well, nobody needs to know about it. I'll just deal with it later. Father, you've given us a chance right now to deal with it. May they deal with it, Lord. Give us the courage to do it today in Christ's name.